Ibrahim Shaharazani and in the news, the hijab protests in Iran continue. Women have been at the forefront of escalating protests in Iran, sparked by the death in custody of Mehsa Amini, a 22-year-old Kurdish woman who succumbed to her wounds on September 16th of this year. Amini died in hospital after spending three days in a coma. She was with her brother in Tehran when she was arrested by what's called the morality police. They accused her of breaking the law requiring women to cover their hair with a hijab, a headscarf. She fell into the coma shortly after collapsing at a detention center. Reports indicated that police beat Amini with a baton and banged their head against one of their vehicles. The police have denied that she was mistreated and said she suffered a sudden heart failure, but her family has said she was fit and healthy. Following the 1979 Islamic Revolution, authorities in Iran imposed a mandatory dress code requiring all women to wear a headscarf and loose-fitting clothing that disguises their figures in public. Morality police, as they're called, are tasked, among other things, with ensuring women conform with the authorities' interpretation of proper clothing. Officers have the power to stop women and assess whether they are showing too much hair, their trousers and overcoats may be too short or close-fitting, or they're wearing too much makeup. Punishments for violating the rules include, among others, fines, prison sentence, or even flogging. It's not the first time Iranian women have risen to stand up for their rights. In 2014, Iranian women began sharing photos and videos of themselves publicly flouting the hijab laws as part of an online protest campaign called My Stealthy Freedom. These protests have garnered much support across the world and online, on social media, including from Israeli women. Over the weekend, as protests continue in 31 different districts and provinces of Iran, the world has been showing its support. Demonstrators came out in over 150 cities all around the globe, from Paris to Tokyo, all under the banner of Women, Life, Liberty, with scenes of women cutting their hair in solidarity with the struggle of Iranian women, girls, and the younger generation for a better future. The regime in Tehran is doing, in the meantime, all that it can to curb these protests, including blocking access to the internet, as well as cruelly cracking down on the protesters themselves. These uh, clampdowns have seen the killing of dozens, some say over 100 of people so far, innocent civilians who died at the hands of this regime. What does the future hold for Iranian women? And what does this battle look like on the ground and online? Joining us on JBS from California is Dr. Sheila Nazarian. Dr. Nazarian is an Emmy-nominated, board-certified plastic surgeon with a private practice in Beverly Hills. But she's also a frequent keynote speaker and an activist who enjoys being an influencer in the digital space on Twitter, Instagram, and beyond, with hundreds of thousands of followers trying to make this world slightly a better place. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us on JBS. It's my pleasure anytime. 
So first of all, let me ask you, um, you know, as a prominent voice on social media for justice, for what's right, somebody who's not afraid to echo their, their views, I want to learn a little bit about your personal background. So you were actually born uh, in 1979 on the same year of the revolution. Yes, I was actually uh, <laughs> born in New York uh, because my mom flew there when she was like nine months pregnant so that I would be an anchor baby, I would be a citizen. And then went back to Iran. We still had uh, some elder family members there that we couldn't just abandon. And so we went back and the revolution was happening. Uh, and so we got stuck. Uh, as you know, they wouldn't let Jewish people leave. We weren't treated very well, but we also were not allowed to leave. And so in 1985, a few things happened all at once. It was the Iran-Iraq war. A bomb landed a couple blocks away from our home. Wow. Uh, you lived same- in Tehran? Say that again. You lived in Tehran at the yeah, time? you lived in Tehran. And at the same time, my father was a chief medical officer in the Shah's Heart Hospital, and he had a lab tech that worked, you know, with the revolution. And he came to him one day and said, listen, you saved my eyesight. I'm going to save your life. You're on the list and you need to get out. So my father basically got out within a couple of days of hearing that. As you know, um, and for your listeners, a lot of... Um, People that were in any way related to the Shah, whether they were Jewish or Muslim or anything, were either, you know, executed, thrown in jail, or had to escape. And so, because my father was the chief medical officer of the Shah's hospital, apparently he made it on this list. So that happened. And then, in general, you know, my parents had two daughters, me and my older sister, and they just saw no future for women, especially outspoken women in Iran. And so they just knew they had to leave. And they left behind a very comfortable life, uh, left everything behind and came to the U.S. to start from scratch just to give their daughters an opportunity at success. You, um, coming back to Iran in 79, you came back after the revolution? Yes, it was, I think it was, you know, 1978, 1979, and I was born in August. Wow. And the, um, and the, the w- was there any hope from what you hear from your parents that the revolution might be actually good or from the outset you knew that things are going to be headed in a horrible direction? I think they knew that things were going to be headed in a horrible direction. And, you know, I, I tried to, on my Instagram, bring the message home here. You know, I think everything sounds great. Everything sounds utopian. Progressivism, equality, equity, you know, um, why is the Shah living in a castle when there's homeless people on the street? And these were the same social justice uh, verbiage that took down the Shah and resulted in this, the Islamic Republic of Iran. And I hear the same things happening here. I smell the same smells, you know, and, and you said, you know, I was fearless on social media. I had a lot of fear starting to speak out. I was not like fearless. Um, I just, I can't let America go down the same path, you know, and and I didn't want that for my children. And so that's what gave me the courage to speak up. Before even touching on this super important topic of you speaking out, Mm -hmm. I want to mention that, you know, I couldn't agree more about the, you know, the misuse of progressive language and jargon in order to bring about horrible results. Like we say, the road to hell is paved with supposedly the best of intentions. Yes. We're seeing it. We're seeing it every day with Israel when the... Uh, the bad actors are using words like, you know, justice and children and rights while they're firing missiles at innocent civilians and committing suicide terror attacks, um, which are horrendous in nature, all under the guise of, 
you know, we're doing this in the name of peace and progressive uh, values. And we're not seeing any significant backlash here from supposed progressive values who I might ask, where are they when it comes to Iran? Where are they? No, where are the feminists? Where are the progressive voices? Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't fit their narrative and it doesn't fit their exact uh, religion, you know, well, this religion uh, of progressivism. It's, it's frightening to think that UC Berkeley, some of those student groups might be welcoming, um, you know, Iranian regime representatives for speaking, but God forbid for them to see a Jew or, a, or an Israeli uh, in their midst, which it brings me to the point that you just mentioned, um, your voice. Um, you are a very unique voice out there in the social media world, because let's, let's say it like it is. You had a comfortable life. Um, you enjoy a very thriving private practice. You have your own show on Netflix. You're, you achieved a lot. You have a beautiful family. Life was good. It is good. And then at some point, I believe what, during 2021, you decide to make your voice heard. First of all, tell us a little bit about that process. What made you do it? Because we're all too aware of so many others out there who are, you know, cowering away, staying away from all of the, as we say, mess out there and keeping to mm -hmm. themselves. And you chose otherwise. Well, I think I started in 2020. My daughter started high school, my oldest daughter. And I was like, oh my goodness, she is four years away from college. And as you know, 50% of Jewish college students are afraid to say that they're Jewish. And my family didn't leave Iran so that my kids would be afraid of, of their ethnicity and who they are and what they believe in. We came here for freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion. And um, I just said, you know what, if I don't speak up, my daughter is gonna go to college and be you know, afraid of saying who she is. And if you can't have discussions with people that are different than you and think differently than you, what's the point of college? And so I just started doing little things like just Shabbat Shalom at the end of a post on Friday. Or, and believe it or not, it took a lot of courage to do that because as you know, in Iran, we didn't even say we were Jewish. We didn't put up mezuzahs. We didn't put menorahs in our windows uh, because you were afraid you were gonna get beat up or worse. And when I started doing that or even speaking, my husband was like, what are you doing? We're gonna be attacked, you know? And I did get some threats online, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Wait, but so, so the, first, the first move, the first circle was the Jewish element of saying Shabbat Shalom and acknowledging Jewish. that identity and that that in and of itself already got you haters online oh yeah 100 percent uh but i have to be honest shire like i um i started speaking about judaism and, and no one stood up for us you know no one we stood up for everybody else you know we stood up for a lot of the other social justice movements and no one stood up for us and i have to be honest too with everything happening in iran right now there's going to be a rally in israel you know, coming up in, in, in solidarity with Iran. There were so many people in Los Angeles and New York that showed up for Iran yesterday in the streets protesting. Where were they for us? You know, and I don't want to make this about us, but I'm a little bit jealous. Right. You know, we're, we're standing up for Iran and they treated us poorly and we're still standing up for Iran. Right. And I just, you know, I just in the back of my mind, I'm just a little, you know, I don't know. I'm just a little, you know, bothered by that, to be honest with you. But you know what? I started off with the Jewish element and I stood up for Israel because honestly, that was the place where our people went, where the Jewish Iranians, when we were getting beat up, when we were, you know, undergoing all of this uh, micro and macro aggressions in Iran, Israel was a safe haven for us. And so was the U.S. And that's why I stand up for the U.S. And that's why I stand up for Israel. 
And I'm happy to see everyone in Iran, you know, protesting and standing up against this brutal uh, regime. Um, and, and I will stand up for them. And I have to tell you, I was at a party last night, they were playing Persian music, and it hit a little different for me. It made me a little bit more proud to be Iranian, to have that be part of my identity, because I see them standing up to this, to the, to the same people that caused so many of the Persian Jews to have to leave, to have to leave everything, all the success, all the hard work. And um, yeah, you know, I'm feeling a little bit more Iranian. I'm feeling a little bit more like, I don't know. I feel like it hits a little different. I feel a little bit more connected, I would say. Sheila, your innate sense of justice. I'm sorry I'm pausing at this because I'm sure so many of our viewers um, share the same qualms and difficulties and, you know, ask themselves the same questions of how uh, I don't want to risk my workplace. I don't want to lose friends. I don't want to I don't want it to come at the cost. What was that moment for you when? Yeah. When was that specific moment that you decided I am not going to keep quiet? You know, they say that up until the age of 40, you need an ego in order to be able to accomplish things. And after the age of 40, it's about letting your ego go and grounding yourself and giving back, right? So I looked at my social media the same way. I, you know, the first post I did for Israel, I lost 3,000 followers in you 10 did. minutes. In 10 wow. minutes. Wow. And I said, you know what? I'm going to let this ego go. If I lose followers, I lose followers. If I lose money, I lose money. If I lose patience, I will lose patience. But you know what I learned? I learned that you can't have people love you passionately without having people that hate you. You can't walk this eggshell fine line and expect people to be obsessed with you. You have to choose a side. You have to speak to your core values. And what happened was actually the opposite of what initially happened with me losing followers is sort of sort of shifted and I found new people and new people found me and new opportunities found me. And my patients loved me before, but they're obsessed with me now because they know that we, we, I don't just share an aesthetic value system with them. I share a core value system with them. And so what my message is out to people is do not be afraid to speak to your core values. You will never be canceled for speaking to your core values. If your core values are pure and you have love and you come from a place of love. And uh, I think it's just letting people know who you are, you know, because this whole thing with the system of what society wants and what is acceptable in society is going to shift, you know? And if you were walking a fine line here, that wasn't truly who you are, maybe you'll get punished for it 10 years from now. But if you always speak to what you believe and what your core values are, you're never going to go back on it, right? Because you weren't living a lie. You were always true to what you believe. And how sad is it that in the US, you become a hero for speaking what you believe? Like, isn't, isn't freedom of expression like part of what is so beautiful about America? And people are afraid to speak now. And it, and it reminds me again of Iran. You know, in Iran, you were canceled by disappearing for a couple of weeks or disappearing forever. Here you're canceled by losing your social media platform or losing money or losing patience or losing opportunities. Again, it's the same thing. I'm against all of it. And I refuse to give into it. 
you know, you, you mentioned the word there, um, you're talking about truth. And to me, it's always been that authenticity and passion. Um, and, and we always say in the world of advocacy and, and truly in our world is you are the message, you know, the person that you are echoes your values. And I want to mention it about you, because even when it doesn't touch upon, you know, Jewish or Israel, um, I'm thinking for a minute about the Nazarian Institute and your desire mm -hmm. to share with, you know, with others in the field, your um, vision of success through the big initiative, the branding, innovation and growth. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it's really who you are, isn't it, Sheila? Like about giving to others, empowering, mm -hmm. making, you know, our world a really better place. It comes from a very authentic place. It does. I mean, I think that, you know, my parents left everything. They brought me here. Uh, they gave me this opportunity to be in America. They gave me an opportunity to be in a world where merit, talent, hard work actually results in, in something, you know, in, in other countries, when you work hard, they push you down. If you're Jewish, they push you down. Here, it's, it's you know, very amazing place. It's the American dream. And I just feel like I was given that opportunity by my parents. I've achieved so much. And it's really time for me to pay it forward and pay it forward to this amazing country uh, that has given me these opportunities. Yeah, you know, um, from reading about you extensively, both, you know, in Newsweek and the Jewish Journal's beautiful piece from last June, um, mm -hmm. you get a feeling of the activist and the achiever, over uber achiever that you are, but also of a family woman, somebody mm -hmm. who cares a lot about her husband and her children. So how much of the, what you do is, I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's for the world and it's for everyone, but how much of it is for your children? What are you doing? It's all for our children, right? I mean, the beauty of what's happening in Iran, this movement by women, they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for their sisters. They're doing it for their children. They're doing it for the future. And I always say, like, if, if anyone's going to change that what's happening in Iran, if anyone's going to change it, it's going to be the women, right? Because we come from a pure place. We're the ones that are the philanthropists. We, we are the heartbeat of philanthropy. We are the heartbeat of the family. And everything we do is for the future. But there's two, two feminine cores, the Iranian one and the Jewish one. But I'm fascinated to know, what did your children have to say about your advocacy? How did they react when they see you out there willing to put your neck on the line, risking, you know, losing business, losing followers, just to echo your truth? Did they ever try to dissuade you? And what's the lesson you're trying to give them and us? You know, I think we can only just model uh, behavior and model courage um, and model, uh, you know, standing up for your core values to our children. I think that, you know, they go back and forth uh, between being proud and being embarrassed as all uh, teenage children <laughs> are. But, you know, I think I think that they see what I'm doing. I think that they're proud. And I've seen them also find their voice. I see, I've seen them evolve from maybe being shy to stand up for Israel and that, you know, some things that they heard their friends say that maybe weren't accurate to standing up in front of the whole school and speaking up and, they you know, drop, yeah, and dropping the mic and walking off stage. So I think that they're finding their voice and I think um, they're hungry for information and to learn more about our heritage so that they can come from a place of facts and maybe be able to uh, influence, you know, one by one people around them to uh, actually seek something further than an Instagram meme. Right.
exactly one by one um i want to take a, a different angle for a minute but one that you just mentioned and it's the role of iranian women we're seeing the the tremendous courage we, we really do have to emphasize this it's not just about you know marching the streets of new york and la these younger generation these kids these boys and girls are going out there against a ferocious regime who you know the evin prison is a is a notorious concept we're seeing mm -hmm. the flogging the execution uh, the, the dozens of people, some say over a hundred of them, already dead at the hands of the Iranian regime. This is a tremendous risk, and this courage comes from where culturally? Teach us, where does this come from? You know, I think the Iranian people are brilliant. Um, it is a multicultural, fun-loving, fashionable, beautiful culture mm -hmm. and if you look at you know your parents photos from iran or if you just look up what iran was like it was european it was beautiful it was free it maybe was maybe um, remember it as such from the from the good old days when israel used to have relations with iran yes exactly and so those are the iranian people and they've been suppressed and then they've been oppressed and i think they've had enough they have had enough of this regime. And unfortunately, it was at the hands of the youth um, who were probably, you know, looking at all these uh, progressive ideologies and saying, you know, what is fair? What is, you know, all of these good things? And they probably overthrew the Shah with great intentions in mind. But as you look at history over and over again in many countries and many cultures, it just doesn't work. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's corruption. There is, uh, theft, there's oppression, there's killings, and that is the only way for these people to stay in power. And I think the Iranian people at their core uh, are not in, uh, people that want to be oppressed. They're intelligent, they're, they're fun-loving, they are uh, brilliant, and they want to go back to being able to be themselves. You know, we've seen that impatience. I've seen images on social media, as I'm sure so many of us have, of the uh, Philistine street name being mm -hmm. toppled down. It seems like, you know, the truth has to be said that the regime is investing a lot of money in terrorist infrastructure in South America, in upholding Hezbollah in Lebanon, in destabilizing Syria and Iraq. And of course, the horrendous realities of Yemen where millions are suffering on a daily basis and hundreds of thousands of people dead. All the while, Iranian citizens themselves are suffering with a terrible economy, with a horrible cost of living. And it seems like people have had enough, huh? No, yeah, and, and it's just, it's very frustrating to see the US this administration, the UN, giving a platform to these Iranian leaders who are the number one fund funders of terrorism, uh, who are on in the UN, they're like on the Women's Rights Committee now. Meanwhile, look at look at what their own women are doing. And that's why I'm using my platform to show to the world what the truth is about the Islamic Republic of Iran. And I have to tell you, we all have to stand up to extremism in all forms. I have been seeing what I've been dreaming about. You know, this isn't about Islam, but it is about Islamists. It is about extremism. And I'm finally seeing people saying something because, you know, even the uh, Iranian activists are coming out and saying, you know, this is my reality. I can't be afraid of causing Islamophobia, but at the same time, my sisters are being killed in the streets. Teenagers are being killed 
at the hands of Islamic extremists. And we cannot be afraid to call out extremism because maybe, you know, because of these, again, social justice buzzwords that are flying around. We have to stand up for people that are getting killed, that are being truly oppressed. And the only way we can do it is to speak the truth and to call it out. And I'm so happy to see that finally on social media, people are not afraid to call out these extremists who caused my family to leave, who caused an, a rapid brain drain out of Iran. So many people had to escape. So many people were killed and so many people are currently being killed. So I just, I'm just, this, that's, you know, one good thing comes out of all of this. It's that we are finally able to speak up and speak out against this extremism. And you know, it's also thanks to your voice and the inspiration to millions of your followers who are actually exposed to this because, you know, the Iranian issue has always been framed, especially in the last decade or so, through the context and the lens of the nuclear negotiations and all of those fancy oh. technological worlds. But to me, the image has always been that of negotiating with a butcher, a Raisi, all the while in the corner of the room, women and girls are being beaten, LGBTQs are executed just because of, you know, desire life and love and that's truly a, a, an atrocious reality where you kind of like look away from human rights and in a way that cannot be afforded anymore and I'm just hoping that through your voice and other voices we will actually move to action by the governments of the West to sanction the regime not because of uranium enrichment but because of Mehsa Amini. Yes and human rights violations uh, uh, I hope I don't know if this administration is going to do it but but we should continue pushing. Okay. You mentioned before family photos. I can't, um, without mentioning this, in, in one of your interviews, I saw a photo of you, I believe at the age of five, we're going to show it now, and mm -hmm. you're wearing a headscarf, a hijab. Why are you yeah. wearing a hijab at the age of five? Uh, actually how passport photos were taken in Iran and it's um, I'm the little one and my sister is I believe to the left and my uh, to the left of my mom and so whether you're Jewish whatever your religion was you're required to wear this hijab uh, and meanwhile meanwhile the daughters of all of these you know uh, Islamic Republic leaders are living in Newport and Los Angeles and posting half-naked pictures on social media. So it's just this hypocrisy. It's it's a it's a control thing, you understand, and it doesn't apply to their own daughters living in America. You know, it's um it's very inspiring to see how your parents, you know, had the foresight to take you and your sister out of that reality. And I think it's uh, truly a, a ray of light and optimism to see the way you have evolved and where you are in life at the moment, not just as a, as a successful practitioner, but as a wonderfully inspirational practitioner of justice. And I hope that this lesson is learned high and wide and deep by all of those listening to us and who are viewing this show and beyond. And I wanna thank you for your activisms, for sharing with us your life and your insights, and not just making your voice heard, but also leading the charge to inspire all of us to do what's right and just in our world today and every day. Thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you so much for using your platform to amplify voices like mine and to allow us to share our message uh, far and wide. Always, thank you so much. This, my friends, is an important moment. Iran comes to mind quite often, especially in recent years, in the framework of the nuclear negotiations in Vienna. 
and the attempts to appease the draconian dictatorial regime in Tehran somehow to be a bit less dangerous. But the truth is that the problem with that regime goes far beyond the nuclear negotiations. This is a regime that is instigating regional instability, that is responsible for the atrocities in Yemen that have killed hundreds of thousands of people and brought millions on the verge, if not into terrible situations of hunger, that has been doing things in Syria that are quite horrendous even to describe as we speak now, that is involved in Iraq and in Lebanon in a way that takes away people's rights and privileges and tries to abuse and use those territories as launching pads against the state of Israel. But most of all, this is a criminal regime that has been tormenting its own people, that has been stifling their wishes for a better future for themselves, that is executing young women and girls for merely the desire to feel the wind and the breeze in their hair, cruelly beating them in prisons, tormenting and torturing, taking away the very light of life from within them. This is our moment to rise, because at this moment, the regime is clamping down on the demonstrators, trying to take away their freedoms, trying to take away the very basic of internet itself so that their voices cannot be heard, which is where we come in. We have the opportunity to make those voices heard to make their voices heard, because their fundamental desire is our fundamental value of the wish to live as free people who are able to dream of a better future for ourselves and for our children. Do not let their voices die down. Do not let this regime win. Be active for justice and for what's right and just in today's world. I'd like to thank you all for watching and really for your attention and caring. I want you all to stay safe and stay healthy in this beautiful Jewish holiday season and wonderful fall that has come upon us. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golob, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In the News, Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shahar Razani. Until next time, Shalom and... להתראות, and see you all soon.